But we've been in this sermon series on help, and uh, uh, the, so the title of the series is Help, but each one we've looked at, you know, uh, I Feel Useless was one of the first ones. You know, um, I'm Afraid, Help, I'm Afraid. Um, we're we're going to look at a few more later, and my, my mind just slipped me. I should have notes of, of each title, but uh, today it's Help, I'm Lonely. Help, I'm Lonely. I, I won't have an introduction here I'm going to scrap for a minute because I want to tell you something that really uh, was an eye-opener for me as a pastor's son. And, and the reason I use my role sometimes as example is because I sat in the pews thinking that pastors always had it all together, right? I mean, at least we, we put on like that, you know, and then sometimes you find out things weren't so good. And, and I was thinking about this young uh, missionary that, that committed suicide recently. And he, and he had all these people around him that loved him. He, he was doing God's work, and yet fighting depression, nobody knew it, and at some point began to feel like nobody could help him. He was alone and took his life. Now, how do those things happen? I remember that when we came to this church, we are just two young couples with, with uh, I think, two boys on the way at the time. No, boys were here. Lily was on the way. You know, church is starting, and we're meeting the school. There's all kinds of excitement. I'm out by the road waving at people, even the cold, and, and being a part of that, and, and uh, we made friends. The Caps, Mona and Cappy Caps, were some of our our first friends we really made, and, and all these friends in the church. And it's like, this is the best church we've ever been a part of. You know, and I, it's hard to say because I grew up in my dad's church. I, my dad's a great minister, but we were around people out of our demographic a lot of times. So this was, other than James River, where we met, church of 10,000 people at the time. We had lots of people our age. But other than that, you know, uh, but we were making friends. And Pastor Jim called me one time. I blew, let's go catch a movie. Lynn doesn't like this movie, so you go with me. And we just, you know, it just felt like life was, you know, all together. We had friends, great church. I never worshipped like I'd ever worshipped before this church. The name of the song that I didn't like, or name of the church in the beginning, actually was very much instrumental. I mean, there was a new song in my heart. Um, so everything's going great. And then I was asked to be on the church board or the advisor team. And, you know, it's humbling. I'd never been on a church board or anything, the pastor's kid, and, and uh, that was a learning experience. And so we move along, and then also we find out we're going to be pastors. And, you know, in that first year, a- at no fault of the church people, I had never been more lonely in my life. I felt like we lost all of our friends. Nobody being mean, nobody treating us bad in that first year, nothing like that. But no longer did people look at us like a friend. I was their pastor. And the only time I really had conversations when there was something going wrong or needed something, and all of a sudden I, we weren't asked to go to movies. We weren't at, you know, all our friends in the church, we just lost them. And here we were surrounded by all these people, right? God's people, yet we were feeling lonely. And the, and the reason I intro with this is not a woe is me and you know, all that in the beginning, but, but the thing is, is it doesn't matter how many people you have around you or how big of a family you have, you can feel lonely. And we're going to look from Scripture uh, to see why that happens. I mean, the truth is loneliness can strike us all for a number of different reasons. It's the stay-at-home mom whose only companions are children, and they're lonely. My wife homeschools. She thrives when she gets good adult conversation, right? I come home from a lot of adult conversation and a lot of pressures, and I'm like, I just want to sit and not talk or say anything. And she's ready to go, right? So there comes the conflict, right? She's lonely, and I'm wanting solitude. Uh, it's the best, uh, it's the busy executive. We got a lot of those in this area at Walmart, struggling with the stress of responsibility, and they're lonely because they're carrying that burden on their own. 
it's the college student wondering what comes next. They're, they're lonely because life is ahead of them. They don't know what the future holds. It's the widow who lost her husband after 50 years. She's never been alone until losing her husband. It's the single person wondering why they haven't found that special someone. They're lonely. They're like, I'm not like Paul. I was never meant to be alone. It's the person who sits by themselves, not really sure they have any friends. It's the student feeling like no one could possibly understand what they're going through. They're lonely. Feeling lonely doesn't make you a failure. It, it, it happens more than people want to admit. Lo- feeling lonely isn't silly. Being lonely is something we all face at one time or another. It's really important that we study this because the truth of the matter is, of all the things we're studying, this loneliness can bring some of the heaviest darkness into your life and depression. And for some, it might be what would cause them to take their life over, over something that is perceived not real. Now, it's not making light of how they feel, but it's perceived not real. So remember the acronym we've been using is HALT, H-A-L-T. What does it stand for? Hungry, angry, tired, lonely, and tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So this is significant because it's part of what we've been talking about, that these very natural things that we think are part of our natural world very much have spiritual impact. If you allow yourself to go too long with hunger, I'll I'll be a little gross today. Remember the movie Alive about the true story where people crashed a plane on top of a mountain and they started starving and they had to make the decision whether to eat the other people that were dead, that were to die, right? I mean, that messes with you, right? Try getting some sleep after watching that movie, you know? Looking at your spouse saying, have you eaten tonight? Before we go to sleep, <laughs> have you? I hope you're. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but, but, you know, uh, but it really can. We talk, we joke about hangry, but the truth is, is that the hunger can lead to anger, and loneliness can re- lead to a lot of darkness. So, so if you're going to give in to temptation, just like Jesus was tempted by his hunger, right when he was fasting before Satan tempting him with hunger, uh, if you're going to be uh, given to temptation, if you're going to struggle with overcoming addiction of any kind, it's most likely it'll be when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Uh, one of the guys I walked a journey with still are, um, you know, there's something we talk about often is his triggers when he would use drugs, when he'd go back to using drugs would be because he had always been the fixer for his family. He had been the only one to really been able to make money, even though it was illegally, he'd make money. And so his family, who had always been poor, he was supporting them off of the money he sold drugs on and had made quite a big empire in this area at one point. And, and so it, his trigger was, mom's sick. And, and, and now his world was falling apart because he was the fixer, right? She's sick. And he used to forget about that or to numb the worry and the stress. And afraid, afraid of being alone, losing his family. Now let's look at loneliness, where it comes from and how to deal with it. Because in 2 Timothy 4, we read about Paul in a lonely time. Now, Here's how I describe Paul, which is different than uh, some years back when I was at a minister's thing and they had a guy who reenacts Paul. And okay, so I, I wasn't there. I don't know what Paul looked like. You know, I just have the clues to go by. And, and uh, this might be a good discussion for you and I after I do this and you tell me what you think. Because most, most people would look at like our brother here, right? And Brother Mitchell and say, man, you look like Moses or Paul. <laughs> One or the other. He's got a long white beard, right? Looks distinguished. He's he he looks disciplined, you know, because he's trim and so you know, Paul. You know, I I'm seeing this thing. They have this guy dressed, you know, in the garb of the time, and he comes in. My I am the apostle Paul, right? Okay, 
So let's look at when Paul turned from Saul to Paul. Who was Saul? Saul was a persecutor of Christians, right? But he was doing it what he thought in the name of the church, the name of God. So I always use the reference, and you get, some of y'all have heard this before, Italian mafia. Italian mafia, not everybody gets their hands dirty, right? It's the, the, the guy that knows the guy. So it's the guy that goes and, and collects the money, the brute, right? You know, Paul is, like, to me, the special forces guy who is the brute that they sent out. He's super smart, right? He, he's, he's super smart. He's uh, educated in several, several ways. He's, he's a Roman to the Romans, right? He's Jew to Jews. He's all things, all people. Um, he's also the guy they can send to take care of problems. So, so Paul, we don't see him on the scene as this feeble, oh, you know, uh, this is a guy who is traveling great distances, going through what, well, and, and God is using greatly. God picked him because he was the guy that everybody knew, right? This is how I see Paul. Yet, Paul, we'll see an example of him being lonely. Even with the strength, with the wisdom that Paul had, even with the accomplishments he had, Paul had time loneliness. This is the last book Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy, and uh, chapter 4 are the last words that Paul ever wrote. And Paul's at the end of his life. So he might have been, I have the possible, I mean, he had, had it rough for some time. But he's waiting for his execution. All his friends have left him, and Paul was a very lonely man. And as we study the story, we see five common causes of loneliness through Paul's letter, uh, Paul's letter here. Now, I understand sometimes we can bring loneliness on ourselves if we're hard to get along with. You know, I've had a friend before, uh, after fifth marriage, you know, it's like, you know, boy, I keep meeting the wrong people. I'm like, well, when you go home today, you might just want to have a conversation with the person in that house and see if maybe that person's hard to get along with. You know, I mean, that you can't always. It could be, could be five people. You know, there could be a godly person, and then they, you know, five people, and they're. But chances are, many times we overlook the things that make us difficult. Right? We first go to the other person, point the finger. Um, but. But this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who are hard to get along with or people that bring loneliness on themselves. We're, we're looking at Paul, who God was leading, guiding, directing. He was in tune uh, with the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's words say, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul standing on the authority he has, not in himself, but on the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word exclamation point preach the word be ready in season and out of season we had a discussion yesterday at men's breakfast and bible study because we do these deep dives we have a bible college professor who is giving downloading us like the whole new testament and doing books at a time and it's a lot right and i sense that maybe not everybody maybe i'm the only one in the room but i said here's the thing the younger generation is coming up whether they really know something or not, are regurgitating what these theologians and these atheists are saying, and they're challenging us on deep theological questions that the church probably hasn't experienced as great as they have before. I mean, we're not talking about that, that, that we've never been asked these questions. I'm saying they're challenging us on timelines of the Bible, authors, the authenticity, and all these things. And we're not talking about scholars. We're talking about college students who are starting to question what they were been raised in, and they get a, a atheistic professor, and uh, they get loaded with you know their weapons, and they come against Christianity as a whole. And so, Paul is charging us: be ready 
uh, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. I'm watching something uh, happening more and more with um, some of the military community that I've been connected with and have a lot of friends on Facebook, and they are turning to um, the belief in Valhalla. Because of the warrior mentality, the Viking idea. Now, some probably doing it off the cuff. Uh, but I'm seeing this, you know, a guy takes his life, says, we'll see you in Valhalla, brother. It, it, it's just, you know, it's not like some of these religions have ever died. They, they come back around, right? Uh, the problem is, is that in any of these, you look for hope, for life, for, for something for the future. And you can't find it in any of the Viking religions. You can't find that kind of hope. But, but what Paul is talking about, he says, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Verse 6, for I am re- already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Man, these words right there, that verse 7, get kind of emotional for me sometimes because if you've ever felt like you've pushed yourself for the Lord to the limit, I know what it's like to lay there and say, God, I'm tired and I'm ready. And I'm going to close my eyes and I'll be just fine if I don't wake up here on this earth. That comes sometimes from weariness for well-doing, which we're not supposed to get weary in well-doing. Sometimes it comes from depression and not trusting the Lord for tomorrow. But I, those stand out to me. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not come to me only, but also to those who, all, who have loved his appearing. He's saying this isn't just for me. This means any of you who have fought the good fight, any of you who have run the race, who have finished well, this is awaiting all of us. Verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas, uh, now I'm, I'm bad at pronunciations, and the biblical scholars would just hammer me for some of these, so... Um, but I don't like doing the hard word, hard word, hard name thing, you know, in there. So verse 10, for, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, uh, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Demas. So he goes through this. Basically, what he's saying is, is uh, verse 11, only Luke is with me. I have one person sticking by. Everybody else is departing. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. This is the point, right? Where you're saying, everybody else leave me. I, I don't, maybe we can want them to come back because right now, if they're not here with me, then that means they aren't really with me anyway. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't want to read into it, but he's basically saying, bring that guy. He's at least useful to me right now, right? Verse 12, and, and hard name, I have sent to Ephesus. <laughs> Tychus, Tyche. Yeah, ty- hard name. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan is with me. He is useful to me this morning. Verse 12, uh, verse 13. Bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Tro- Troas, 
when you come and the books, especially the parch, uh, parchments. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. We're not supposed to do that, are we, Pastor Mike? Oh, we are. According to his works. He didn't, ask, he, said, may he, he didn't ask the Lord to harm him. He just said pay him according to his works, right? So if he changes his tune, he has some hope. Verse 15, you must also be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Listen, that is difficult for a pastor. There's been times when someone's disappeared from the flock, and everybody's like, hey, so-and-so, should I reach out to them? And I'm like, no, probably not. Oh, well, what's going on, brother? I'm not going to do that. I'm just telling you, I probably would not reach out to them. If bitterness has taken their heart, if divisiveness has taken their heart, and we've tried to resolve and resolve and resolve, but they are starting to infiltrate that kind of stuff into the flock as protector and shepherd, sometimes you have to say, look, that person's not in the right frame of mind. They're not willing. See, we, we need to be protective of, of who's here. Um, one of the things that troubles a pastor is when you know someone has caused trouble in the flock and their heart's set against maybe the leader, but that they got their eyes set on you're leaving and God hasn't removed you. The, the people who, who know that and will continue to fellowship and reach out to them and have their separate thing. Now, it's one thing I know. Are we going after them to try to bring them back? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just like I didn't agree with them leaving and I'm going to go over here. What that does is it adds a little pathway for the enemy back into the flock. What it does is it says, you know what? I don't trust the shepherds leading and guiding that they would still be here I have to trust that he's done everything he can, but they still be here. But there's something that they is in their hearts keeping it. But I'm going to go entertain that. But I've, I've, got, I've got my focus in two places. Am I part of the body and protective of the body? Or am I just don't like conflict? And so I want everybody to be happy, happy, joy, joy. You know, Paul here is saying, um, he's had some people that he's like, hey, listen, don't even go around them. They're going to cause you problems. They've caused me problems. They're going to cause you problems. They're not in the right frame of mind right now. God needs to restore them, but they need to allow him to do it. 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. And this is where Paul is. is, is you can see his heart. He's not vindictive. He's not trying to see people crushed. He's just stating, this is, this is where it's at, but I, I hope the best for them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. So it's all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then it goes on to, to greet uh, uh, Prisca and Aquila and, and the household uh, of hard name and it goes on from there. Okay. So here, here's the thing. Uh, what do we got to watch out for? What do we got to watch out for where loneliness might come and, and attack us, right? Uh, number one, when I'm in transition. There are books upon books upon books, not for just churches, but for leadership in all areas about managing transition. Why? Why would that be such a big topic about managing transition? Can't I just walk into the office one day and say, hey, guys, by the way, we're going to change our business today, and we're going to start doing something different today. When I was at Walmart, you have things like that, Nathan, how, how long? Sometimes it depends on how big, right? But sometimes months, maybe years in advance, they are planning and everything before a word is said to the people they're leading. Because people 
struggle in transition. And so you've got to soften the blow. Even here at church, it's like uh, I'm being very careful in my words about when we say when we're moving because I've got people all the time saying, when are you moving, when are you moving? Well, I understand that, and I'm thankful that there are people checking and wanting to know and want to be engaged. You don't want to stifle that. Um, but I'm being careful so I don't give false hope and say, because there's things I can't control, you know, when, when are we going? Um, you know, when we started the, the Spanish-speaking ministry, I made a mistake the first year because God had told me we were going to start a Spanish-speaking ministry. And I said, okay, had a pamphlet and everything. Remember, we had a big board meeting. I was brand new as the pastor, and we're going to do this. I didn't ask the Lord's timing. I just knew he said we we're going to do it. So four years later, we started the Spanish-speaking ministry, right? Um, I needed the help of the Spanish district, uh, the, the uh, Spanish-speaking district, and needed their blessing. But when I'm in transition, and, and life is a series of transitions. When we're born, when we grow up, we go to school, we graduate, we get jobs, we change jobs, we retire, we die. Life is full of changes. And every time you make a major change in life, there's a tendency to feel lonely. Paul is this old man at this point. He, he's faced with the inevitable. He's about ready to die. And in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I am re already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I don't want to scare anyone away from giving yourself fully to ministry. Whether you be a lay person, just every minute you can give to God, you know, sacrificially, or whether you're a full-time youth pastor, whatever it is. But there are going to be times in that when you feel like you are a pawn. I mean, in the negative way of thinking, or natural way, you're a pawn being just used up to the point that you're just, Pastor Mike, am I ringing a bell here at all? Sometimes you feel like it's about everybody else, not me, and I'm just getting used up like this drink offering. I'm going to be empty and done and tossed away. And there are retired ministers who are bitter, not at God, but against people because they, they didn't allow the Lord to give them the right perspective that, listen, you, you are being used up, but you're just temporary here, so don't let that get you down. It's not like you've wasted all because this is nothing compared to what you receive in eternity. So my retirement plan is not here. It's in heaven. Paul says, I know my time's short. The end's near. Nero's going to execute me. Remember, Nero is burning Christians on a stake for his parties to use them as lanterns. That's, that's the setting in which the Christians are enduring at this time. I'm going through a transition, he says. Transitions in life can be lonely. You, you move to another town, you're lonely. A new school, lonely. A new company, lonely. Big promotion, lonely. Divorce, lonely. Transition is lonely. The second thing to look out for is when I'm separated from those I love. Because separation causes loneliness. I can tell you Jennifer can be going for 24 hours. She just did to go to a funeral. She's an hour down the road and I feel lonely. Now, I'm working a lot of the hours. We don't see each other all day long. I just know that she's in close proximity. She's accessible to me. I can see her. I can talk to her. I can tell everybody else, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to my wife, right? <laughs> but she's gone and she's on something important that I want to interfere with. And so now I'm lonely. And Paul's isolated from those he loves. He asked Timothy to come see him. He says, do your best to come see me quickly. Do your best before winter. Paul was a people person. I mean, his, his whole role has been, even before he knew the Lord, his whole role has been to, to lead people 
to be the guy to get it done. He never went anywhere by himself, and he always had a traveling companion. We even know that when he split paths with one over a difference, right? Barnabas, he, he still, it was a disagreement over who was coming with who, right? He is rarely alone. Now, now at the end of his life, Paul is in prison in a foreign country, and he can't just pick up the phone and reach out to, to touch somebody. He's lonely because he's separated. And it happens to all of us, whether it's separation by military, we have a lot of families in our country who have endured years and some of them decades of, of separation. I saw a story of, of one of our uh, Navy SEALs, his wife, like over a 20-year period, uh, there, there had been like a t- cumulative like 17 years. No, 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 I'm sorry. Like 12 years out of a 20-year period of, sep- of separation due to military service. That they calculated up the time, it was 12 out of their 20 years that they were away. The divorce rate is like at 70-something percent in those specialized units. The third thing to watch out for is when I face opposition. Obviously, put you when you're on the opposing side, sometimes you might be the only one. You're lonely. And so uh, opposition causes loneliness. When you're attacked, ridiculed, or criticized, it makes you feel lonely. Verse 14, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You should be on your guard against him because strongly opposed, he strongly opposed our message. So this is where Paul feels some loneliness too, is opposition. Do you remember life as a little kid on the playground? Um, you know, uh, your popularity can change at a moment. One minute you're the hero, the next minute you're the zero. It, that can be lonely, right? And that opposition can cause loneliness. It's when you're going through a a painful experience that nobody understands or when you're misunderstood or embarrassed. When people attack your character or your values. When you're being criticized by someone you thought was a friend. We've all been there. Opposition makes you feel lonely. And the fourth one is when I feel rejected. When I feel rejected. Verse 10, for Damas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. It indicates that because he loved this world, it was not for ministry, nothing else. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I know you got a lot going on, Paul. I know you're working your uh, tail off. You're, you're sitting there on death row for the kingdom's sake. But, you know, I really need to get home and cut my grass. And, you know, I, got, I, I really have this business, business venture I need to get into. And whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is. I know you're, I know you're lonely, but I got to go do my own thing. And so he's feeling lonely. He, he, he's feeling betrayed, forsaken, abandoned. He felt deserted. When things got tough, everybody deserted him. One of our greatest emotional needs is a need to be accepted. And rejection is the most devastating form of hurt. I know no greater pain than when I've walked with a, 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 a spouse of someone who the other person decided, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And they're just trying to figure out how can they go from that to this? How can it be here? What, what do I do to fix this? And it, it makes me think of a movie, which Jen always warns me. I know I'm not supposed to use movie references because some of them I haven't watched for a long time. don't realize there's something, there's a curse word or something in it. So um, there's a movie that came out a long time ago that at first I thought was blasphemous. And I wouldn't see it. And somehow I ended up seeing it and found out it actually had some good message in it. But Bruce Almighty. So uh, Jim Carrey is supposed to be, uh, you know, God comes and, 
appears, and he gives him God. God gives him his powers for some time, but he's in this re- relationship, and and uh, he hurts her, and she decides she doesn't want him anymore, and then it crushes him. And there's a point in that movie where there's something said that seems so profound to me for the Christian. God, who's Morgan Freeman playing God, says very politically, you know, hey, I, I think God's going to be multicolored. No, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but but you know, he God is saying to to Jim Carrey, he says, God, how do I make her love me? And he says, Well, if you can figure that one out, I'd sure like to know. Now we know theologically it's not that God can God can do anything he wants, but he has chosen to give us free will. And so he will not cross because that's how he's done. He will not cross that road. Not because he can't, because if he makes us like robots, if he makes our decisions for us, there's no love in that. That's like the, the married couple you see, the abusive couple you see in public where she's falling behind, crouched over, and starts to touch them. It's like, no, you know, treating someone like a dog, right? There's, there's no love in making your decisions for some, making their decisions for them or treating them that way. And God's not going to do that. That's not, he's a God of love. He's not going to do that. So, so this is the difficulty. When we feel rejected. Remember the first time how you felt when the, uh, you, the first time a, a boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you? I remember one time I got so upset for the whole month I ate a banana. I couldn't eat. And it wasn't love. It, it was manipulation. But it felt like love at the time, right? You know, you get that little note. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And you get back with a big, fat marker, X, and then no, 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 written at the bottom, right? <laughs> you, you, you could just use a pencil and use the box I provided for you. But. <laughs> now I'm, now I'm going to go in the boys' restroom and stick my head in the toilet, right? <laughs> the incredibly lonely moment. The fifth one is when I stand alone for righteousness. Now, Christians, listen. This is a place you've got to protect your heart. When you are put in a position where someone challenges your faith and your belief in God and, and you feel like you're scrambling for the answers or anything, you've got to be careful because this loneliness starts to come and you feel like you're by yourself and it's a fight or flight type mentality. Either you go to try to give answers you don't have and make yourself sound like a fool or you get angry or it becomes a debate. Sometimes you need to take a breath and say, you know what, I may not have all the answers but I know what's going on in my heart and realize you have a host of angels and God with you. You've got to stop and realize you're not alone because those times when you, are, when, when you stand alone for your righteousness, if you get the wrong mindset, you don't realize the truth about who is surrounding you and you forget that for just a moment, you'll react badly. Remember in one of the previous sermons I said, when you go to react to a bad situation, usually it's not the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth that's the right thing. Stop, take a breath. It's usually the second thing you would have said or maybe the third or fourth. Be careful about reacting quickly when you're standing alone for righteousness and you get that opposition. Paul took a stand for righteousness in defense of the name of Jesus, and no one stood with him. It was a lonely place. And in today's society, a lot of people stand for a lot of things. It's, it's often confusing to determine who stands for what and for what reason. People love to jump on the bandwagon. I've watched some of these documentaries about the paid protesters, right? People are paid to go protest. It's just like, paying for for opposition paul was going to be executed for preaching jesus and so it's not really the same thing what's going on in the world is like when you're standing alone for christ it because you're doing it for someone who many people have never 
heard his voice, never seen him, and to them it's a fairy tale in a book. But you know he lives in you, and you're standing alone for something that everybody else thinks is ludicrous. I remember as a junior high student, loneliness was so painful. People try foolish things to relieve it, to forget their loneliness. They drink, they take drugs. I, when I think about the things back at the grade I was in of what was going on in school and realize things have probably not gotten better, I, I worry and pray for our young people today because, I mean, at very young ages, some buy things they don't need. When Jen and I was dating, I had a business at one time that was, for a young guy, it was cranking out the cash. Bad thing was I was bad with money. And we weren't, actually, I don't even know if we're dating. We are friends then. Yeah, we're friends, because you'd wonder why I'd call you. But I'd be at Lowe's, wanted to buy stuff. You know, I just had money to burn, right? And when I was away from the Lord, I'd walk into a, a bar and establish like that and pay for everybody's stuff. And it was just, you know, money was coming easy, and it was going easy, right? I'd call her and say, hey, I saw this thing I want. She goes, why do you need that? I don't. I want it. And I was really trying to fight a loneliness I had me for the Lord, and I, I would try to fill it with things. So here's the thing. In the last 10 minutes we have this morning, I want to give you quickly how do I handle my loneliness? Because we talked a lot about, about how it comes, but how do I handle my loneliness? Number one, maintain an eternal perspective. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. So maintain an eternal perspective. The second one, take care of my body. All right, now, all the RVers are going to be smiling and looking at me right now because several of them have to fix me sandwiches and mac and cheese during the week to make sure I'm taking care of my body because I won't stop to eat. Sometimes I just don't feel hungry at the time, but anyway. Take care of my body. He said, verse 12, he sent hard name to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with uh, Carpus at Troas. Paul's in prison. He's dying. He's going to be executed. So what does he ask for? His coat. You ever have that favorite thing that just brings comfort, right? He's probably, he's probably cold in a damp, cold prison. When we are lonely, we have a tendency to neglect our physical well-being. It's just true. Paul, follow Paul's example, take care of our body. You see, I have these swings of like, I don't feel like eating because I want to get things done, get home, start worrying about all the things I still need to get done and get overwhelmed and then overeat. So just so the RVers know, it's not that I'm starving because I'm just eating it all at like one time right before bed, which is why it's going here. Yeah, Paul's in prison, he's dying, he's going to be ex executed, he asked for his coat. But we have to follow Paul's example, take care of your body, eat, sleep, put on your coat. Take care of yourself. It's like we tell our kids when it's cold. Put on a coat. You're going to get sick. Oh, right now I feel great. Yeah, you won't tomorrow when you get a cold. Number three, maximize my time. This, this is where because loneliness will cause you to crawl in a hole, you know, the depression, and then you just don't care. You want the world to pass you by. The problem is it's a catch-22 because all the things that are important in your life begin to stack up, and then you got the pressure of that. And then you start feeling overwhelmed. And it's like, I can't get to everything. And I feel alone in this. And nobody's here to help me. And you just begin to crash. I, I've challenged people many times. When you're in your business or your ministry or whatever it is, when you've gone through a hard time like that and God has delivered you and you're on the other side of that, that is not the time to now say, okay, now is the time for me to relax and not, not follow God. 
See, we do that by our sinful nature. When the times are tough, we're praying. We're at every church service, you know, because we're just dependent on God to get us through, and we're weeping at the altars. We're doing this. And as soon as the clouds break and God does, then it's like, okay, well, all right, now I'm going to get busy about my work because now I have the freedom to do that. The problem is is that you are actually starting to create your next problem because you begin to walk away from what God, God, God has heard your prayer. And he said, you have run to me. And the children of Israel went through this. You've run to me, you've cried out, you've begged of me to help you, and I've helped you. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, well, God knows my situation. I'll just go on about my business. And we begin to not make it as important anymore to be clinging to him, to be at those altars. We just think all of a sudden, like, okay, that's the last one I'm going to have to dodge, and everything will be okay. No. Enemy's just like, man, you keep doing this and make it easy for me. You just keep relaxing as soon as the pressure's off. And all I have to do is come in there and throw another whammy. And, you know, and one of these times you're going to stop running to God. You'll be like, I do this over and over, and it, it just brings me back to the same situation. He's trying to, he's trying to process, he's trying to wear you out. He knows you're going to run to God. He knows that. He's watching from the children of Israel. He knows you're going to do that. He's just going to keep putting the pressure on and, until you finally give up and say, I, my whole life is like this. All I do is I run to God and, and he fix it, but then I, I just go through this again. We get it mixed up what's happening in our head. Paul says in verse 13, when you come, bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul says, if I'm going to be alone, I might as well get something done and bring my scrolls. And at least he will have no interruptions. He'll be having study time. He's a captive audience for God, right? That's sometimes the only way God can get your attention is when he's got you at a point where he has to rescue you. At least he will have no interruption. We know from the Old Testament God allowed the children of Israel to be put in captivity. He also talks about he used the pagan nations to bring the people back. Do you really want to keep allowing the devil to put you in a situation that God has to rescue you? So Paul says, I, if I'm going to be alone, I might as well get something done. And so Paul was not a scholar. He was an activist. Right? Some will disagree with that. We think of him as a scholar now. But he was a people person. Paul would much rather be in uh, Colosseum preaching. He'd much rather be traveling all over the Mediterranean, uh, starting churches. Instead, Paul is stuck in prison. So he decides to make the best of the situation. He'll study. And as a result, we got a huge portion of the New Testament. See, God uses you greatly when you're desperate for him. It just shouldn't be that he has put you there. In Paul's situation, it wasn't that Paul had done anything wrong getting there. But sometimes that's what happens with us. The fourth one quickly, use the bad for good. Verse 15, you, you too should be on your guard against him. He's talking about this brother that, that was causing problems. Paul, now he turns it around for good and uses it for, he, he, he's basically saying at the end, he says, you know, God, don't hold all this stuff against them. Fifthly, forgive my offenders. Verse 16, at my defense, no one came to support, but everyone deserted me. Can you imagine Paul, the great leader? He's done all this for the sake of Jesus, for the church. This is why I tell you all the time. When you do something for the Lord, you have to keep in mind you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for a pastor. You're not doing it for the church, people. Do it for Jesus. As soon as you do something expecting some kind of gratification from people, you're in trouble. Because they're going to disappoint you. You're not going to like the way they appreciate you or didn't appreciate you. You're not. Something's going to go wrong. But I have to. That's my, that's my level set every day I go home. I go home and I have to think on the way home, doing this for Jesus. Because otherwise I'm like, 
why am I taking a year and four months, or actually two and a half years with the planning stage? Why am I taking this out of my life, God, if we're going to have things just keep getting torn up, right? <laughs> or whatever, whatever the situation is that day. But I'm doing it for Jesus. It's his place, and he'll make it go. See, I'd like to think if I had to stand trial for sharing my faith, at least one or two of you would show up and support me. But not in Paul's case. The courtroom held no supporters. There was no one on Paul's side. At this time, nobody else wants to be burned at the stake, boiled in oil. And that's where we really find out the test of the true believers, right? In the church is when that kind of pressure's on, like the church worldwide, when you could be beheaded. You got people saying, deny Christ or lose your head. And people saying, I will not deny Christ. That's where you know you've got a Paul. He had to be angry. He had to feel hurt. How dare they not be with me at this time of my need? Sorry, dogs. Whatever his terminology was then. But look at Paul's response. May it not be held against them. Paul's not going to allow himself to be angry or bitter. Paul understands resentment only makes you lonelier. That's the kicker. The more you resent people, the more you push back, the more you be angry. It just makes you feel lonelier. Number six, recognize God's presence. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. We've mentioned this in other messages. Where is God when you're lonely? He's right there with you. Again, if he took away all your sorrows, all your pain, you'd never grow. He's not on a mission to bring perfection to your life now. It's later. He's on a mission right now to grow you more like his image. And he has endured much pain and sorrow from his creation, who all he did is wanted to create create us to, to love and have communion with him. Number seven, reach out. Emphasize other people's needs. When, when we get lonely, we tend to start being more focused on ourselves and more focused on ourselves, which perpetuates that. One of the things the Lord can use to break that with you is take a breath, stop, and start thinking about other people's needs. Start thinking about other people's struggles. Get off our own pity party and think about them. Paul first said, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through the message, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. Paul's life goal at the end, even though he was dying in loneliness, was clear. He wanted other people to know about Jesus. God, give me strength. Number eight, worship. Now see, in my life, I might have tried to put that one as the very first one because to me, worship is a lifeline. When I am struggling, when I am lonely, when I'm tired, whatever, I put on worship and it just feeds my soul. And it may not always be the same worship music somebody else listens to, but in my own time, it's just, if it's to God and not about me or about the world, about anything, but it is truly just from me to him, um, if, if it's something that anyone could worship, then it, it's, it's mess, uh, medicine to my soul. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and I will bring and bring me to safety. His heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the, not, the ninth one and last one. Again, like the other sermon, we're going to bring this in that remember, I'm not alone. So we keep stressing that because we, we often forget easily as soon as the cloud starts lifting that we think we're alone again. Remember, I'm not alone. 19, verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of uh, Hardname. 
And he goes on, and, and Esther stayed in Corinth, and I left uh, hard name sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. It's like Paul knows, the th- time's ripening up, and I, I want to see people. What is Paul doing here? He's reminding himself that he has friends. So besides God being there, God has placed people in your lives, no matter how, many lo- how much loneliness you have, and especially in a situation where you have one, you're focused on one relationship breaking apart, Remember, God has strategically placed people around you in creative ways, his people to be strength to you. That's why when we pray with people who, who have a wayward uh, son or daughter or maybe a spouse who is uh, away from the Lord, the prayer we pray is, God, let them not turn to the left, to the right, to look forward, backward, up or down. Everywhere they turn, place your people who will speak the truth in love. Place people there that they can't get away from it and the testimonies we hear sometimes where someone says you know i was just trying to push away and every time i turn around this lady at work is, is praying with me or sharing or you know i go to the grocery store and someone asks me if i know god loves me and you hear these crazy stories you know god's answering that he's placing people right in their path right and you know it's like the stories we won't get into that I told some of y'all about picking up uh, uh men on uh, uh the highway here in the same spot god's been placing guys who, who have been having addiction problems, and each one, after the first few, it took a while to figure out, you know, they'd say, well, I just got out of jail, I'm going this way, I need a ride, and, um, you know, and then lead them to the Lord, right? And, and all of you, the, some of you that heard the story, you laughed because the last one out of all of them, or the fourth or fifth one, uh, I finally, when I pulled over, I just said, get in, I know you have an addiction problem, I know that you need a ride, and, you know, the guy's like, are you a cop? I'm like, no, I'm a preacher, get in, I'll explain. You're just you're you're one of many God keeps placing right here, you know, at the same time. And even if God has to make us hangry, right? So I told you a story. Somebody holding us up talking at church and it's way past lunchtime and leaving Sunday at two. Lunch is supposed to be at one for my stomach purposes, you know. But God delayed us that time because of one of those young men. And on Wednesday night somebody delayed us and it was for a good reason because we would have missed that opportunity. So remember that no matter what's going on, how lonely you feel, God is placing people strategically in your path for the purpose of rescuing you. So when you feel alone, you're not alone. You're not alone. Your eyes just may not be open to what's going on around you. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, to be used as a vessel. I thank you for our worship team who as well, uh, through worship, reinforces your word and leads us into worship. God, I pray for every soul here today, everyone that will hear uh, this message. God, I pray that in this moment, Lord, in this moment that your Holy Spirit would, would triumph over the voice of the enemy trying to speak doubt and discouragement into their ears. God, to try to push them back into the way they've been handling things on their own. God, just like we talk about, Lord, that National Geographic picture where there's a lion in the weeds and the gazelles are running around and he's just waiting for one to get weak, sick, tired, lonely, hungry, to lose focus and venture away from the flock long enough that he can devour them. And God, we pray against the attempt of the enemy enemy to devour anyone today. Whether they're lonely, they're tired, whatever's going on, Lord, we pray right now. Jesus' name. Uh, with everybody's head bowed and eye closed, uh, in some of these messages especially, uh, there would be, uh, it'd be a, a disservice to this word to not give an opportunity for someone to respond or, or people to respond. And there's going to be two things I'm going to ask you. Number one, if you're here this morning and for whatever reason you do not have a relationship 
uh, with the Lord right now. Uh, maybe you have before, maybe you haven't, but you know right now that you don't wake up communing with God. There's, there's, there's not these pushes in your spirit to, to, to do things for Him because you're, you've allowed yourself to become lonely for a relationship with God. But you know you need to reconcile that with Him. Now listen, the word says, you know, if you're embarrassed of me in front of men, Jesus says, I'll be embarrassed of you in front of the Father. And so I do things a little different. I know in some churches we, we say, okay, just raise your hand up down. And I've done that as the leading of the Holy Spirit for. But this morning, there's something in me that says that, that if we're going to do this, we need to make a proclamation. So I'm going to ask you to do this. If, if you're here and you say, I need to make my relationship with the Lord right. I need a relationship with him, and I want you to pray for me. I want you to stand up, and I want you to come right here, and I'm going to pray with you, and others will gather. It, it, it's, it's not going to be that we are standing here in judgment of you or that we are thinking anything other than the fact that we are going to rejoice with you, that God has spoke to your heart, and that today is the mark of a new beginning, a fresh start, that no longer you have to carry these burdens on your own, but he is going to lead and guide you. He's been there all along. He's just waiting for you to allow him to move and work in your life. And so if you're here this morning, I'm just going to wait a few moments and we're going to pray with you. And while we're waiting, I'm going to say to the other response, if you're a believer, you have a relationship with the Lord this morning, but you've allowed loneliness to cause division, to cause strife, to cause depression in your life, I'm going to pray right now that God releases you of that, and I want you to agree with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that, Lord, the loneliness I've allowed in my life, God, that you would break those chains, that you would relieve those of me, God, that you would heal my heart, and, Lord, you would help me stand on a strong foundation, Lord, your word, faith in you, God, believing, knowing that you're with me. And, God, no longer would I try to do things on my own. Lord, believe in the lie of the enemy that I'm alone, but I know that you're with me. And Lord, out of that abundance, like Paul, I'm going to bless those others in my life, even my enemies, with my words, my thoughts, my prayers. Lord, I'm also going to be wary when others are trying to hurt me and cause it loneliness. But Lord, in the end, I'm not wishing them harm, but God, for your will to be done. And right now today, I, I make that a resolve in my life. I make that a commitment in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can look up. If you're here and look, any of that response, you, you said, I should have responded and I didn't. Listen, I'm not God, thankfully. And He is always available. And you can still make that commitment. You didn't miss the opportunity completely. The only thing you miss is the opportunity to be prayed and loved on by people who will call, check on you, make sure that we're there if you need that. And, uh, but you can still get that. You just need to talk to one of us, alright? Love you, God bless you, enjoy your Sunday, and we'll see you back Wednesday at 6.30.